to the OME Talks podcast, where we give previews of our monthly OME members-only webinars. I'm your host, David Petro, and this month we are featuring Jordan Rappaport and Ellie Weisdorf, who will be telling us a bit about their upcoming webinar, Supporting Access and Inclusion for Students with Special Education Needs. And so without further ado, let's get to our conversation. Hello and welcome. Here today I am talking with Ellie Weisdorf and Jordan Rappaport. Ellie and Jordan, how are you doing today? Doing great. Yeah, likewise, doing great as well. Good to hear. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourselves and what your relationship is to mathematics. Okay, I'll start. So for the past four years, I was working as a regional elementary school-based mathematics facilitator in a school board just outside Toronto. I was working with three schools selected by the Ministry of Education to receive intensive support in math. Before that, I was in other regional roles for about four years within my school board, and I was a classroom teacher for about 15 years before that, and I'm currently on secondment in the province of Ontario. And as for me, like Ellie, I too worked as a regional elementary school-based mathematics facilitator for the last several years, which included supporting educator and administrator learning, as well as supporting teachers in their classrooms with planning, instruction, and assessment. I was working with three schools selected by the Ministry of Education, and before that, I was a classroom teacher for about 16 years, teaching across all grades in the elementary panel, and I'm currently working as an equity consultant with my school board. So not to get too deep, but I mean, how do you see your connection to mathematics now as it uh, compares to when you were in the classroom? So for me, in the role that I'm currently in, much of my work is centered in terms of mathematics on identity affirmation of mathematics. So what that might look like in classrooms in order to support students in building a positive mathematics identity. This also includes disrupting power structures within mathematics learning spaces and how power is distributed and how we need to look at the redistribution of power within math spaces. And also actively working towards, you know, disrupting, you know, singular harmful narratives about what mathematics teaching and learning can be for educators and for kids. And I guess for me, thinking about my my work across the province, I work with several different school boards and I'm in and out of different schools. And so I'm connecting with educators and administrators about uh, mathematics in their schools and in their in their boards. And I'm also connected to math through the OAME because I'm also a member of the board of directors there. That seems like the perfect segue to my next question, which is, you know, how did you both, you know, either hear about or first get involved with OAME? I think I first heard about OAME when I was a classroom teacher and I was looking for an organization that provided resources in math and also connected me with other educators who were trying interesting things in their classrooms or sharing any research that they'd done. And it was around the time when I had been teaching for several years and I started looking for that inspiration and maybe some new ideas that I could infuse into my teaching practice. The the first OEME annual conference that I went to, I think was in 2015 at Humber College in Toronto. 
And, and since then, I've been attending the annual conference just whenever I could get released from my schools. And within the last few years, I've actually started presenting at the conference. Jordan and I presented virtually together in 2022 about our work with de-streaming at the elementary level. And in person in Toronto this year in 2023 with the session that I think we're going to be talking about today. And I already mentioned about my work with uh, OME as a K-6 director on the board of directors. Uh, so my introduction to OAME is a little bit different. I didn't even know OAME was even like an actual thing until about 2018. At the time, my oldest son, and I remember this vividly, my oldest son was playing in a baseball tournament. And to occupy my time before one of his games, I was scrolling through my Twitter feed. And as I'm scrolling through, I come across OAME's post about the 2018 Leadership Conference featuring some of my mathematics heroes at the time. And actually, if, mem if my memory is accurate, Dave, I believe you did a session with Kyle Pearson, John Orr on building out your PLN through uh, the uh, Math Twitter blogosphere community. And at the time, and they still kind of are, Kyle and John were two people I revered because of how they helped to uncover for me a world of mathematics teaching and learning I never knew existed. And a few years after that first encounter, I found myself collaborating with Kyle and John in the Make Math Moments space, writing problem-based units for the community, which for me was simultaneously transformative and affirming. So I think, I mean, there's a lot of things there that, that are run parallel for me in terms of my connection with OME. You know, I, for a long time in my career, I didn't know OME existed until somebody sort of uh, in my area introduced me to the, to the organization and through connections I made at the going at the conference it, it led to other other opportunities and yeah I, I do remember I remember having the leadership conference um, in in Windsor that year that was the, I think the year I was president and uh, yeah that, we, that was that was a, a nice little short sweet uh, conference that we had there a lot of good good speakers there so Ellie you did allude to the fact uh, to the reason that that we are here we you guys uh, did speak uh, at our conference last spring in Toronto and we're going to do a I, I think slightly modified session your session called supporting access and inclusion for students with special education needs I wonder if you guys can give us a little bit of a uh, heads up as to what kind of things you're going to be talking about when we do our webinar in a couple of weeks go for it Ellie okay so here's our pitch with the, the focus on de-streaming in Ontario high schools, many elementary schools have thought about how to ensure students who were formerly in withdrawal programs for mathematics can be successfully learning and supported in integrated homeroom classes. Jordan and I will be sharing the successful strategies and approaches we witnessed while supporting elementary classrooms when we were math facilitators. This will be through the lens of implementing high-impact instructional practices in math programming anchored in universal design, critical consciousness, and culturally responsive and relevant pedagogy. And yeah, just to add some pieces, along with that, we're going to be exploring uh different aspects of our work in terms of the support that we provided for educators and how that translated into a shift in educator practice to support learners of diverse prior learning experiences, uh, learning needs, all learning together, all learning mathematics together in the same space. So yeah, really excited to be able to continue to uh, share in this learning and uh, really looking forward to the webinar. So when you say uh, a shift in practice, wh where do you see some of the, the the largest need in terms of that practice actually shifting? 
so I did speak a little bit earlier, just in terms of, you know, if we think about more traditional models of instruction, where we're looking at power dynamics and, and how power has often been uh, distributed in math classes, right? So one of the things that we look at is, is how are we providing opportunities for students to develop more autonomy within classroom spaces, for students to be active agents um, in the problem-solving process, where as, as educators, we are really co-constructing learning and co-constructing meaningful problems with students so that students are better positioned to take more ownership over their learning and are, and are really sort of the key drivers behind the mathematics that we have opportunities to explore in our, in our math spaces. You know, I often think about my own experiences in terms of what mathematics was like for me as a student and how mathematics existed for me outside of school. And I often tell folks that, you know, thinking, thinking back to those experiences, I could have probably told people at around the age of seven or eight, the mathematics that I was most interested in and the mathematics I um, wanted to investigate further at school. Unfortunately, I never really had those opportunities. And I'm often left wondering that, you know, what, what I guess could have been if the power dynamics were shifted a little bit so that I would have had more of a voice in the mathematics that I was learning about the mathematics that I was most interested in. And, you know, you know, I'm coming from a place of believing that when we do give kids those opportunities, we are, you know, sort of setting the stage for, for their, for their brilliance to really shine and emerge through that further developed voice and autonomy in classrooms. So when, when you say, uh, you know, shift that power, can you clarify exactly what you, what you're, what you mean by that? So I, I, you know, I think, Again, I, coming back to my own experiences and, you know, and that sort of comes back to my experiences as both a student and, and certainly as an educator as well. I think often, you know, mathematics is sort of perceived to be or positioned as a gatekeeper subject, right? So trying to uh, disrupt that by giving kids, you know, the opportunities to really bring, bring to life the the areas of mathematics that they want to explore and if that is not something that they are are able to articulate then we have to you know try to figure out ways to um to sort of tease it out of them right and now in saying all this it's not like you know a complete free-for-all we do need to provide structure and we do need to you know help nudge students along through their problem-solving path but part of that also is creating the conditions where we are co-constructing and building problems together and as we are building problems together students are actually developing the tools and developing the strategies and approaches uh, to be able to successfully navigate through different problems and through different tasks uh, that they might not necessarily have had access to previously. Now, Ellie, you alluded to the idea of high impact instructional practices. Can you give us some examples of what some of those practices might be? So thinking about math conversations and how do we encourage student voice within the classroom, thinking about problem solving experiences and how we build that into our, our programs, thinking about selecting tools and being able to use them through our problem solving as well. So those are just some of the high impact instructional practices that, that I think we're going to be talking about. So when you guys are 
uh, in the in the field with teachers uh, and you're starting to implement these things what are some of the some of the biggest hurdles that you're finding uh, that you have to overcome I know for me again having you know been a classroom teacher for you know 16 plus years when I'm you know when I'm involved in the work of supporting other educators I really have to focus on and be mindful of decentering myself in that process right recognizing understanding and appreciating that we are all on different learning journeys recognizing appreciating and affirming where the educators are in their own journey of developing as math educators and then using and 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 really trying to get a sense of where the teachers are and using their current learning, much like how we would do with the students, right? How we would use where they are currently in their learning and scaffold steps and pieces for teachers. So the the new components that they're adding to their repertoire are meaningful and manageable and scaffolded in such a way that that teachers are continuously going through that process of of um, practice reflect refine but yeah like i said decentering myself from that work and really focusing on where the educator is for me is probably the most important thing I think I went somewhere else in my head when you asked that question. I'm thinking about like time as a barrier in terms of like having time to think about new ideas and incorporate them into practice, having the time to, you know, be forgiving with yourself that, you know, if it doesn't work the first time, I'm going to keep at it and keep trying ideas, having the time even to collaborate with another educator and, and even talk about what happened afterwards, right? So time seems to be um, somewhat of a barrier through this process as well. So I see a kind of two things spoken about. There's sort of the esoteric part of teaching and then the logistic part of teaching there that you, that you have to deal with. So I'm wondering, and like when whenever I'm in front of teachers providing PD, um, you know, about something that I'm you know passionate about or, or, or trying to, to, an idea that I'm trying to put forth, I always try to think about how different I was as a young teacher and what would I tell my younger self who wasn't so enlightened? <laughs> and I'm wondering, you know, how you think of yourself com- now compared to when you started teaching. You know, I think about, again, you know, I, I spoke earlier about, you know, often thinking about my experiences as a student and certainly my work as, a, as an educator, particularly early on in my career. You know, I, as a student, I, ver- I came very much from spaces of an I do you know, we do, you do type of approach, which, you know, was, was, was very procedural, was very formulaic. And if you got really good at following the steps and you were good to go, and I was able to sort of play that game up until a point where things got to be a little bit more abstract. And then I found myself sort of, you know, falling down a rabbit hole of not knowing. And I just sort of continued down that rabbit hole until um, I stepped out of math class for good until I started teaching again. And then thinking about where I was early on in my career, having nothing to um, sort of fall back on in terms of effective practice, I defaulted to what the, you know, the only practice that I knew, which was, you know, the I do, we do, you do type of approach. And it took, you know, probably about six or seven years of teaching and then certainly the birth of my kids and my kids entering into the school system for me to like really come to full stop and recognize that, you know, within myself, I needed to make a change in how I was teaching because how I was teaching was not having a positive impact on kids. 
so yeah, so I think about those early experiences that I had as a student and how that translated into my early practice as an educator. And I think it's safe to say for me, like on a very personal and certainly a professional level, I found myself, you know, over the course of the past, you know, close to 14-ish years now, just really, you know, I dove headfirst into learning all I could about mathematics education, mathematics research. And, you know, I've been, you know, deep in that world now for about, you know, like I was saying about the past 14, 15 years. And although the role that I'm now currently in um, isn't, doesn't have the decided math focus that my previous roles did, all of that learning and all of those experiences have completely informed how I'm approaching my my current role. And certainly, you know, the 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 work and what I'm involved with outside of my district is still all math focused. And I continue to, you know, seek out learning, still stay connected with folks within the community because, you know, this is a a, a passion of mine that that I never really knew existed um, until I decided to, you know, make that full stop. And it's just something that I continue to feed into on so many levels and for so many different reasons. I think I had a, a similar experience, Jordan, that, that you did in school, thinking about like the, the traditional model of teaching. I was pretty good at playing the game of school and I felt like I was doing well in math for a really long time. And then as a, a young teacher, I, I basically did the same thing. Uh, I, you know, I, I modeled the same things that I experienced as a student. And I think when, when my, again, I think, like you said, Jordan, like having kids in the system gives you a whole new perspective on what it's like to experience the system. And I think seeing my, my kids in school and, thinking about, you know, what, what, what would I want for my own kids in their programs? And I think thinking, it was sort of around the same time that I was starting to explore OME and new, new teaching ideas and sort of everything kind of came together, you know, and, and I thought about, I, I was, I was actually thinking about Joe Bowler's work and, and her, her work with like fluency without fear and thinking about, well, how do we, how do we get kids to understand and what, what do kids really need in the classroom? So I think, and, and realizing that some of the things, practices that I was um, using as a younger teacher might not have been either the most effective or, you know, might not have been the best for the students that I had in my classes. So, uh, yeah, I think I would tell my, my younger self, like, you know, to, to, to try new things and, and to see what else is out there and really think about what the impact is on, on students in your classroom, that just because you experienced it, you know, before doesn't mean that it's not worth another look and to think about, um, think about it in a different way moving forward. Okay, so uh, thank you for talking to us today. We are looking forward to your session on December 13th on supporting access and inclusion for students with special education needs. Jordan McNally, uh, we look forward to that talk. Awesome. Thanks for having us, Dave. Uh, yeah, we're super excited to, like I said earlier, to, to share in our learning and, and certainly connect with folks uh, through the webinar. So yeah, really looking forward to that. Yeah, thanks so much. That was Jordan Waverport and Ellie Weisdorf giving us a preview of their upcoming webinar, Supporting Access and Inclusion for Students with Special Education Needs which will be for our OME members only and will take place on December 13th at 8 p.m. Members can register at our MCIS registration site and more info can be found on the session at our talk, talks.oeme.on.ca website. 
Those links can be found in the description. Next month, our final regular episode of this season, we will have Heather Boychuk and Lance Patry talking about their webinar, The Slice is Right. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, stay safe.